Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Now, if you have lower back pain, you are not alone. 80% of adults suffer low back pain at some point in their lives, from muscle spasms and strains to ruptured and herniated discs, from arthritis to sciatica. If you've experienced back pain, you know how debilitating it can be. Now, back pain is personal for me. As a middle-aged athlete who thinks he's 25, my back will go into spasm on the tennis court when I'm not properly warmed up, and I'll hobble about complaining endlessly to my wife come nurse. Fortunately, my back married well. My wife, Skylar Grant, is an expert on back care, and she shares her vast knowledge with us on the show today. Now, Skylar suffered from debilitating chronic pain, which came to a head on our honeymoon. I'd expected to spend a lot of time in bed over this period, but this is not exactly what I had in mind. Now, during this period, Skylar discovered back care expert John Sarno, and it completely and thoroughly changed her back and her life. Skylar has integrated Sarno with her own yoga practice and teachings and has remained largely pain-free for the last 20 years. She shares her deep knowledge on back care today on the show. You can also access Skylar's dorsal wisdom on her new free commune course called Back to the Core. Just go to onecommune.com core to sign up. That's onecommune.com core. I'm Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. As well as being your wife and um, your co-conspirator in, in most things, um, I am a longtime yoga teacher and I also am a longtime chronic pain sufferer who has largely made her way out of, out of pain and um, learned a lot in, a, in the process. But anyone who has, um, has suffered chronic pain knows that that experience and that identification goes with you for the rest of your life because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a life-changing thing to um, experience chronic pain. And I can definitively say that the trajectory of my life was formed by it and, um, and the fact that I am no longer in, in pain is, is really one of the things that I'm, I'm most proud of in the work that in my self work. But so the source of your pain, it goes back to when you were a child. I wasn't there. I feel like since we were always destined to be together, I feel like I was there. I've heard the story many times that I think some wayward hippie ran you over in a VW bus. Is that correct? Well, you could say the, um, the inception of the story of my pain started when I was uh, a little girl and I was, I don't know, two years old and I was living on a, uh, a hippie commune and, um, my mom was 
doing something like making sauerkraut in the kitchen, and I toddled out of the house, and one of the um, women who lived with us was backing out in her VW van and uh, knocked me over and ran me over. And my mom, as the story goes, had some kind of a psychic experience knowing where I was and that I was in trouble and ran out and in her misguided psychic experience yelled and then the woman reversed and ran back over me. Uh, It's a great story. Anyway, I survived clearly and um, in this new in my second incarnation, my second life, um, I I was I was sort of a miracle. I think that doctors thought maybe my parents were just stoned and made it up, um, but I think it really did happen. And as I went into my my teens and my um, my early twenties, I had a lot of recurring back pain. And one of the things that um, directly related to that incident. Well, here's I'll get to that. So. Yes, that was what I believed. I went to, you know, chiropractors and doctors and uh, the whole panoply of experts in the field starting in my t- in my teens and and then even even more when I was in my 20s and that was the that was the diagnosis was that I I'd, I'd had this traumatic injury and um MRI showed that I had bulging disc between L4 and L5 and what looked like that my spine looked like an old woman's that I had early onset degeneration but not your face well that's only in the last decade my spine's amazing now, but my face, not so much. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, your ass or your face. Anyway, so there I was with this story in my head that I had this deteriorated, destroyed back, and I had had this traumatic injury when I was two, and that was why. And um, I found yoga in part as part of my journey to try and get out of pain and that was I started doing yoga in my early 20s and what I found in practicing yoga that was that it was an incredible balm and made me feel great sometimes and other times it made it worse and I would it would set my back into a spasm Mm. um so it was both medicine and poison but it I knew there was something there, and so starting when I was around 22, I, I kind of tussled away with this practice. And then there was a, a number of other things that I learned through that decade, through, the, through my 20s, that were really the additional building blocks to he, my healing and it's it's a story that will probably sound very familiar to many people who've who've gone through the journey of chronic pain. And um, the first was that I read a book um, by a doctor named Dr. John Sarno when I was twenty six or twenty seven. Yes, I will digress because when we were twenty five, we went on our honeymoon, and. Um, because we were 25 and had no life, it was an extended honeymoon in Brazil for three months, and that's when my back went into the worst spasm of my life. And you remember well, carrying me not across the threshold in a romantic candlelit um, evening, but to the bathroom because I literally 
couldn't walk to the bathroom to pee. Um, and so I was in like a, for the first time in my life, it wasn't just like, oh, it's chronically painful and had trouble getting up, but I actually couldn't move. I was fully debilitated. And so when we came back from that, um, I, I knew that I was maybe going to have to get surgery or I was going to have to do something radical. And, um, and that's when someone gave me this, the, a book by, by Dr. John Sarno. So many doctors can't understand where it comes from because very often the pain that um, p- patients feel is not even necessarily related to the underlying condition. There is actually a, um, one of the things that at the same time that I was getting into reading Dr. Sarno and other doctors who were doing the same kind of body of research was there was a um, – so there was a study in the Journal of American Medicine in the, in the mid-'90s um, where they looked at like 100 x-rays of backs. Um, of people who suffered uh, no back pain. They just took a random sample of people who had no no problems. And only 35% of those people um, had like no problems. They, they, the, only, they were the, only like 35% had, had like quote unquote good spines and the rest of them had herniation and bulging this and, you know, bone spurs and degeneration. They didn't, but they didn't experience any pain. Hmm. And then there are people who suffer, you know, debilitating back pain, neck pain, and it's there's nothing that you could find on an MRI or an X-ray. So that in itself, I mean, it's pretty stark um, evidence that it's far more complicated than than um, than what's going on physiologically. Right. So yes, there ca- there can be there can be torn tissue that needs to repair. That just like any torn tissue in the body needs to repair. If there is inflammation and then that's compressing nerves mm-hmm. or a bulging disc that's that's pressing out and, and compressing a nerve, that is, um, you know, that's an underlying condition and it's insanely painful. And just to be clear, by saying that there would be some a, a, a psychological underpinning to pain, doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that the pain isn't real. The pain is very, very real. And But what happens is that when there is, when there is pain, the, the, bra- the brain creates signals that generally create spasming around a trauma. So this is mm-hmm. often called the pain-spasm-pain cycle. So... You do something that's dramatic, a, a sharp twist or a turn or a fold, or you sleep in a funny way, you lift a heavy object, or you just have a chronic physical pattern that you do in your body over and over. So what causes the underlying condition, it, it, it might not be something dramatic. It might not even look like an injury. It might not be something that you could actually exactly pin a, a date to. Mm-hmm but you actually have muscular strain. And then, especially in the spine, which is so close to our central nervous system, your, your brain sends out a message for your body to contract the muscles around that spot, mm-hmm. basically to act kind of like a physical splint yeah. around that spot. So the muscles all around it, which aren't injured, those seize up. And then when those muscles seize up, they, you stop getting blood flow 
to those tissues, muscles, tendons, nerves, all of those things need blood flow. And it's called ischemia. And so your your regulated blood flow, even a, a minor reduction of blood flow to tissues causes a pain. Like that reduction of blood flow itself causes pain. You're not getting nutrients, you're not getting blood, and then you're not releasing waste product from those tissues. And that causes pain, even though there's not an injury there. There's no torn tissue. And then that pain sends a message to your brain that there's an injury. And then it sends a message back to your muscles to contract some more. So that's the pain spasm loop that your body and brain get into, this totally fucked up dance. And even though you're after a certain amount of time, the tear or the, the, the physiological problem may well have healed, you're still in this loop. And that's being generated by your brain. So your brain has to cut the loop. And so people who have been through this process, it's not like you understand like, oh, I'm really at the point, for example, now where I don't even really buy my old story about getting run over and that's why my back was screwed up. I mean, yeah, I have this, I have this underlying ball. I have a seriously bulging disc between my lumbar four and five. I was in chronic debilitating pain in my 20s. I developed a mental and physiological practice over 15, 20 years that took me out of pain. At the end of that time, I thought, oh my gosh, well, clearly I fixed my back. And then I went like seven years ago and had my back scanned again. Same spine, more degeneration, same bulging discs, but just ge more general um you know, atrophying of the spine that would look, you know, kind of like actually kind of grew into my own back because I guess my back looked kind of like an old lady. Now I do have the back of an old lady. So it's not worse, but it's not better, but I don't have pain. Hmm. So, um, and I know now that now that I truly don't just understand intellectually, but I understand somatically that I'm okay, that I'm not um, I, I, I'm not a victim of my history or of the pain itself if it should come because it's not like I don't ever have back pain. But if I feel it coming on before, my whole body would go into red alert and I just knew that this was it. Oh, my God, I'm going to be so bad. I don't have to get an airplane or whatever. You know, I'm projecting into the future, you know, the misery of this pain episode that's about to hit me. And now I know that it's stress and that, yeah, I have this underlying back that's not perfect, but my back's fine. And I live in the same back all the time. And sometimes it hurts and sometimes it doesn't. And I have a whole bunch of tools in my tool belt just from living for a long time and doing the hard work of figuring out what my body needs physiologically to be out of pain. And the psychological part is like, okay, well, you're stressed out. You need to rest a little bit more. Like this is the way your body's telling you that you need to chill out a little bit or you need to address, you know, one of any of the many things that um, are, you know, rattling me. And so I don't I don't go into the mental spiral, which doesn't send me into the physical spiral. Right. But you're not saying that the key to alleviating back pain is essentially surrendering to God, to a power greater than you. I mean, you know, that you're saying that there's a psychological element of 
back pain that you can address through, I guess, therapy, meditation, de-stressing techniques, but there are also physiological practices that you can begin to also address the issue. Totally. So this is where I would diverge from someone, someone like John Sarno, where I definitely think there's a psychological component. And I also think that we, as, as people who suffer from any kind of pain, but back pain specifically, which is so complex, or someone who wants to preempt that, need to do the physical work to keep the body healthy. And everybody needs to find out what that is for them. Like I've found my way through through yoga and I can I'd love to speak more to why I think that's a it's a it's a really good methodology, but it doesn't have to be yoga. It could really be anything. And something like yoga or Tai Chi or any any physical practice that is also considered a mind-body practice is so perfectly positioned for this because it's not just conditioning the body, but it's conditioning the body in tandem with conditioning the mind and looking at the interplay between the body and the mind. And with yoga, specifically through the conduit of the breath, which is such a potent way to address the... <laughs> the lack of oxygen getting to muscle tissue, which is causing your pain spasm spiral. Um, so that's a physiological piece, bridging into the psychological piece. And then, yes, I would say absolutely you need to do the 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 psychological work and whether that is surrendering to God and that gives you like really, truly deep, real peace, resolution of your trauma and or it's psychoanalysis i mean it or it's meditation and you just really work through the things that are gnawing at you in a very deep way i mean and to be clear it's not you know the the psychological piece of this is not it's never going to be something simple like i don't know i couldn't to be honest it's not like i can look back and say oh it was that thing i mean i had a really amazing childhood it's not like i don't feel like somebody who was full of simmering rage, you know, I mean, wonderful parents and, you know, had a really, really loving childhood. But we all inherit these inner pressures and stresses. And one of the things that, that, um, the Sarno and his, 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 um, inheritors say is that the, the personality types that tend to suffer from, psychologically induced chronic pain are people who have a, you know, who are, have a lot of ambition and have a lot of, you know, sort of self judgment in their, you know, their, they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And interestingly, another personality type is people who are do-gooders and put a lot of pressure on themselves that way, not just around their own performance you know, in a work or a, you know, social way, but about doing really good things in the world, which is so interesting to me because I can't, no, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm that person You're not at in all. either camp. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you jerk. I would put myself in the first camp, but not necessarily in the second. No ambition. No, no ambitious charitable and no. impulse. <laughs> so only when it, only when it, only when it comes to my husband. 
Um, anyway, it's self-pressure. It's like self-imposed pressure would be the the simmering, you know, boiling pot underneath um, underneath that right. psychosis. But don't you think that modernity creates the conditions for back pain? I mean, absolutely. It, 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 I I think I read eighty percent of adults suffer from some form some of form acute of... or chronic back pain, depending, and in some ways. I suppose like evolutionary biology hasn't really caught up with the changing circumstances of modernity that have progressed, regressed so quickly Absolutely. that if you essentially go back in history, you know, to the agricultural revolution, well, we weren't really designed to bend over and, you know, um, harvest crops and carry big satchels of grain and, you know, you probably saw the first instances of back pain some 10,000 years ago as we changed our cultural habits and the way that we lived. And then, of course, scientific revolution, industrial revolution, people, you know, working heavy machinery until now, which is essentially a sit-down culture where people just sit at their desks all day. And all of those things contribute to back pain and unhealthy spine and that our evolution hasn't selected for a new body yet because yep. we just not move because we're moving so quickly to our habits are moving so right. much faster than our ability to evolve for sure um i mean yes a hundred percent and there's no question that um the the best thing proactively and physiologically that we can do is move in move consistently and stop sitting i mean just from a very technical standpoint the human body is is not designed to do what we're doing right now sitting in a chair with our femurs at a 90 degree angle to our pelvis it's probably one of the most you know detrimental habits we we all take on on a regular basis so how should and, we sit um, well, we should squat. If we can't squat, we should um, stand as much as we can, stand and move. So this whole revolution in standing desks and people, you know, walking around with earbuds in and making having a mobile office is a good thing. No squatting um, desks yet. Ball chairs, which we happen to have at our house in some abundance. Really, any... Why the ball chair? Because it engages your core, is that right? Yeah, well, the, the ball chair, A, it makes your butt a little higher than your knees. So as soon as the angle between your thigh bone, your femur going into your hip socket is more obtuse, like wider open angle, it's going to allow the muscles at the front of your hips, your psoas and your more exterior hip flexor muscles to relax a little bit. As soon as you're, as soon as you're in a 90 degree or a tighter um, flexion, it's going to grab, unless you're in really deep flexion like a squat, in which case the thigh bone drops deeper into the socket again and it's a more stable um, spot. What we don't want is what's called our psoas. It's really three muscles called the iliopsoas contracted and turned on all the time because that's our big fight or flight muscle. And that's another one of those, that's another one of those loops like the pain spasm pain loop. Your psoas, this big muscle that is really meant to get, get help us charge forward and run away from a saber-toothed tiger, is not meant to be on all the time. Um, it's meant to be able to turn on, but then turn off. But so much of what we do psychologically and physiologically in our bodies and our 
nervous systems now is turn that on all the time. And that big, long muscle, it's like kind of like a long flank steak, and it runs from the at the back of your spine or the front side of your spine um, in your kind of deep, deep belly, front back belly, front back. It connects right around the bottom ribs where your diaphragm is and then runs all the way down to your inner upper thigh bones. It's the longest muscle and one of the deepest muscles in your body. So when we, when that's just chronically on, it's, it's really the same stuff as your back. It's your, your back belly is your inner back. And that's a lot of what the course that I did for Commune is about, is both strengthening and opening that that muscle group in the body because we want it to be pliable. We want it to be really strong and we also want it to be really soft. And many people have either a completely atrophied psoas, is weak, or they have a super tight, hard, immovable psoas. And both of those things, bad news. Yeah, hard to get at the psoas. Super hard to get it. And you can palpate it or a massage therapist can do it, but it's really, really painful. Oh, yes. The Thai massage, yeah, right? The, the heel and the lower gut, yeah. yeah. So maybe take a moment to um, just go over some basic back anatomy because there's a lot of terms that get thrown around, L3, L5, the yeah. thoracic back, the lumbar, coccyx. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but you look cute saying it. Cervical curve? Sure. So um, your spine has um, a few S curves. It is in a, It has a few curves. It's in an S curve, I should say. So your a healthy spine has a curve in where your neck is and then a curve in where your lower back is. And then it dips out where your upper back is, your upper middle back. That's called your thoracic spine, where your upper back is where on where your shoulder blades are. And then your neck is your cervical spine and your lower back is your lumbar spine. And then your lumbar spine then ends at your sacrum. Yogis love to talk about the sacrum. It's just one of those things. And your sacrum is really the very bottom of your spine, and that's where it gets lodges right into the top of your pelvis. And it's kind of shaped like a, like a little spade. And it sits right in the top of the pelvis, which is shaped kind of like an inverted spade. Kind of getting back to this sitting issue is that when when we sit in a regular chair, very often the tailbone is kind of rolling underneath us, and the lower back, instead of having a nice, good, rounded shape, bulges back, and so you flatten out your lumbar spine, and then all the muscles around that will start to grab on at both the front and the back. At the front, in that psoas area, it's grabbing on at the front, and in the back, you've lost the balance of the curve. And if you, so, if you don't have this, this S curve, this set of curves, you've lost like the 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 um, you lost. It's sort of like a like a you know what do you, would you call it like a spring of the spring of your spine, which gives it a shock shock absorption, and instead you're just you've made your spine into more of like a rod, and it's lost its ability to take the shocks of everyday life, um, and you've set up a cascade of of counterbalancing tightnesses in in the body. The other really chronic pattern that we see is in part of modern day life is in the neck, driving, typing, texting, carrying babies, carrying bags. And that forward shift of the shoulders sends our head forward, 
tightens the front of our body and then turns all the muscles in the back of the body on super tight and locked on to hold our body in position. Hmm. So it's like what it's what's called locked long in the back. So the muscles of the back are long but not loose. They're long but tight. And the muscles in the front are locked short. They're tight and short. And then that just causes imbalances, restriction of oxygen flow, ischemia, pain, cycles of pain, spasm, pain. You should endeavor to sit with the crown of your head stacked over your tailbone, your chest open, your shoulders back, the sides of your neck back. So your spine basically stacked, enabling those that S curve to come into its fullest fruition. You should say that again, because you speak so quickly when you talk about anatomy that I don't think anybody understands you. So just say it again. Okay. So actually, let's just close our eyes. So you close your eyes and everybody who's listening, close your eyes, unless you're driving. So get yourself somewhere still. And with your eyes closed, just do a little mental inventory of your spine and your head there sitting at the top of your spine and see if you can feel where the crown of your head balances in relation to the very bottom of your spine. That's your tailbone right there at the very bottom. And see if you were to slide the sides of your neck back a little bit and draw the outer upper shoulders, the outer upper arm bones and shoulders back a little bit. And then maybe to lengthen your tailbone down if you feel you've got a lot of curve in your lower back. Or maybe if you feel in your inner inventory in your mind's eye that your lower back is really flat to poke your tailbone back a little bit. See if you could find the place where your chest feels broad at the front but not pinched at the back. The sides of your neck slide back and feel soft and the crown of your head feels balanced on top of your tailbone. So there's a feeling of stacking top over bottom and then in between, there's a lightness in the curve of your neck, the soft roundness of your upper back, still being brought at the front, and a nice curve in your lumbar, nice curve in the lower back, just above your pelvis. And then you'd like for those curves ideally to remain in place without over-efforting because efforting then just leads to patterns of tightness. So it's it's not like if you have, you can open your eyes now, darling. Um, it's not as if you can restructure your body in a day or a week or a month. And it's one of the reasons that doing conscious practices like yoga or Feldenkrais or Pilates, where you are actively working on the alignment of your body in different shapes, all different shapes, not standing, not seated, you know, in a whole variety of postures, you're constantly bringing your attention back to where your body is in space and trying to rebalance it in all different, in all different relationships to gravity. Um, that's what over time, and that just takes time. I mean, it, it takes usually for most of us decades, if not years to get into dysfunction. And so untangling that is, um, it is just it has to be a patient endeavor. But I do believe, I really truly in my heart believe that the body wants to heal. I mean, you know, until we die and we're all headed in that direction. But most of the time, 
in our bodies, most things are going right. I mean, the fact that, you know, you're sitting around and doing anything, even if you're in chronic pain and you feel like things are going so wrong. And when we are in pain, all you feel is the pain. But at the same time, the all of the unseen forces that are going forth in the most incredible, miraculous way are so right. So, you know, I I always try so hard, and it's really hard when when you're not feeling good. But to remember that that mostly living is a is a cascade of things going right. It's hmm. an optimistic thought. So, can you? unpack a few of the other things that you talk about and teach in the course, mm-hmm. both from a breath perspective and a core perspective. Sure. So the breath, and um, really one could do, I think, a, a deep dive on the breath and re- pain recovery. That would be phenomenal. Put that on the long list of things to do. But the breath is this incredible um, translator or conduit between the seen and the unseen. So in case you don't know anything about our nervous system, there is the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, which are both part of our unconscious nervous system, the things that the, all of the processes that we, that we don't control our digestion, our heart rate, our the cascade of hormones that course through our body, our, you know, orgasm, all of the things, uh, the defecation. So there are all these processes that are, are, that we largely cannot, that we can't control except the breath. And the breath is the thing between our somatic nervous system, our walking around, doing the things that we can consciously control and do, and all of the things, the, actually the most of the things that go on in our body that we can't control and do. The breath is the only thing that we actively can choose to control. Mostly, you know, 99% of the day or even 100% of the day for many people, we don't even think about the breath. We certainly don't think about changing it. So, the breath is the gateway. It's the it's the gateway between the the seen and the unseen. And it and the breath is the way that we can really experience in a totally you know real world way how we can turn on what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest nervous system, and our sympathetic nervous system, which is our quote unquote fight or flight nervous system. The you can watch your breath put you in either one of those places, you can actively use your breath to put yourself or take yourself out of one of those states or another. So when I when I started to get a glimpse of that through the yoga practice, I was like, oh my, yeah, yeah, that is, that is powerful. That's a real thing. And I want to, I want to understand that. I want to have like a cerebral and a physiological experience of that control or that play control is the wrong word but it's really like interplay with this this thing this unseen thing that's so magical and powerful and so i um i definitely got into practicing pranayama in on on my own and then teaching some in my classes and at the same time um i got I was fascinated with what's called Uddiyana Bandha and 
just really quick, the bandhas are um, three sometimes called locks. I like to translate it more as a valve in the body, three points in the body that in the yoga practice we can control physiologically, anatomically, muscularly to control and play with the flow of energy in the body. Um, So the very lowest one is the pelvic floor muscles and the the whole pelvic floor diaphragm, outer and inner, the pubococcygeal muscles, then up into the pelvic diaphragm, just the pelvic floor muscles. And then the middle one is um, a little harder to pin down physically, but it's the lifting in and back and up of the muscles behind and underneath the diaphragm. Uddiyana in Sanskrit translates to upward flying. So it's um, it's not as straightforward as just lifting your pelvic floor muscles. It's uh, affected by creating a vacuum in the body, kind of like you could, like if you sucked air out of a paper bag, if you suck the uh, the volume of air or the the balance of air out of your lower belly and that created a vacuum a hollowing in and up of your lower abdominal muscles and viscera that action of hollowing back and up is Uddiyana Bandha and what I learned is I kind of figured out I had to untangle for myself anatomically what was happening but what you're doing is you're stretching and strengthening your diaphragm and your deep, deep core, which is called your transversus when you do this practice. And those are muscles that are the the tendon and ligaments and muscles of the diaphragm are all very difficult to access. I mean, it's not really like, you know, when we breathe really deeply, we work our diaphragm. Um, but this is like taking, this is like stretching your diaphragm in a way that you 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 really can't even do any other way that I know of. And so I, through this, this Bondo work, started to feel my deep core, which I'd never, I didn't even know that you could feel the difference between your, I just thought, oh, there's your stomach muscles, those are your abs. And I started to get like, oh, no, actually, I actually can feel those are my outer abs, those are my inner abs, and oh, my God, I'm feeling my diaphragm, which, you know, not everybody wants to do, but if you're having, you know, a long relationship with pain in those areas, it's super interesting and transformative to start to dissect um, your own anatomy. And, um, and so I, so I would, I would insert a, a lot of this Banda work on my own when I was, you know, in my home practice, and I kind of sneak it in to my practice if I was in a class but it was unorthodox. Like what I was actually just doing was not people in in a traditional yoga class would use mula bandha for sure. And sometimes um, people will say use uddiyana bandha. It's kind of thrown around in yoga. But what they're really generally saying is engage your core. But the bandha work that I'm doing, I'm talking about for uddiyana bandha is actually not engage your core. It's actually stretch and open your core, and then be able to engage it like deep inside. Um, so it's very non-traditional core work. And I it just became really clear to me that most of us are um, weak and tight in our bellies. Hmm. 
even if we're strong in parts of our belly, like a lot of people have a strong rectus because they do some kind of crunches or some, you know, some kind of ab work. But most people are tight and weak in their in their transversus and then in their psoas and all those other muscle groups. Yeah, so not only weak, but it seems like unaware. And totally unaware. Yes. So we talked a little bit about work environment and sitting. Um, and then we talked about some other kind of active practices and techniques. Um, and then I wonder if you could address sleep and the, I mean, obviously, unless you have insomnia like me, you spend, you know, 30, 35% of your life asleep or in bed or lying down. And are there preferred positions for sleep um, that people should be taking for optimal back health? Uh, yes. The consensus really is on your back, hmm. on a firm mattress. Um, if you can't sleep on your back, then better to sleep on your side with a pillow that has your head, you know, more or less in line with your spine, not higher, not lower. So your spine is balanced. And then the worst of all is sleeping on your stomach, but that's really nice. And I know you do it. Yes. Sometimes, often. Um, yeah, sleeping on your stomach. The worst, because when you think about that, like your head's going to inevitably have to turn to one side or another, which is not going to be the optimal alignment of your head to your spine. Mm -hmm. What else would you say for people that are um, experiencing pain? Where is their first stop? What's their first resource? What's their first practice? How do they get in? Because, you know, you're obviously talking about bundle work and some things that are... Fairly esoteric. Yeah, and advanced and yeah. requires some degree of awareness or a practice um, for, I suppose, you know, an average guy like me who's sort of a weekend warrior athlete, you know, professional mm -hmm. um, that, you know, suffers in and out of lower back pain. What are, you know... I don't want to reduce this to five hacks for back health, but I'm going to for a second. I mean, just, you know, what are the kind of basic common denominator ways that we can maintain health in okay. our back? Yeah. So I would say, number one, you need to, if you suffer from pain, um, you need to assess whether it's chronic pain. And if it's chronic pain, I very strongly recommend that you be open to examining whether it has a psychological component while 100% acknowledging that the pain that you're feeling is totally real and it is actually a physically, physiological phenomenon that you're experiencing, but entertain the idea that you could do some inner work that would be groundbreaking for you in changing your relationship that to that pain and the pain spasm pain cycle. That's number one. Um, and then you have to find what the modality that works for you in your life and in your, you know, philosophical and religious you know, framework that, that actually helps you do the, the work, the inner work. Um, and then from a lifestyle perspective, we need to move. None of us move enough. And so, you know, some of us have more leisure time to be able to move. Some don't, but almost everyone can move more than they do already. It's the kind of classic but boring, take the stairs instead of the elevator. At lunch, go for a walk. For the most part, 
we need to exercise um, more and less with less impact. So much better to get moderate exercise regularly than to go be a weekend warrior. I mean, a lot of injury happens to people who are sedentary for long periods and then go out and exercise hard. Mm-hmm. Um, look at your posture on a regular basis, like adjust the way that you work if you work on a laptop or a phone and be a big dork and get your, you know, get your your keyboard up to a place where your spine is in good alignment and your shoulders are back and you're not hunched forward and your head's not dropping forward. Because even if your problem is lower back pain, that rounding, the, the, the slumping forward, the kyphosis as it's called in your middle upper back, is going to set your whole spine off in a cascade of badness. Um, that's three hacks. Your fourth hack is to get really interested in strengthening your deep core. And whether you are doing it at the gym or you're doing Pilates or you're doing yoga, know that you could have an amazing, super strong, awesome um, abs without ever doing a crunch again ever in your life. I'm actually really down on crunching. I think that many of us are over strong and short in our outer abs, the rectus that I talked about, the six-pack abs. Those shortening tend to draw your front body tighter. That same hunched forward posture is not what we need. We need strong but long outer abs and a strong deep core. So, you know, any, any, I mean, like a, for example, in a yoga class, when you're doing plank, that's a deep core exercise because gravity is pulling your organs down and you are using your deep core and your outer core muscles to hold your organs up against gravity. So any, any kind of exercise that you do, and I, I have the, I share in the course the the abdominal exercise that I do, as you know, it's probably the only thing I do almost every day, but I do this deep core exercise that's so dumb looking. And it really like, it's it's the beginning of it barely looks like anything. It's really like an inner core resistance exercise. But it's basically like creating a strong and healthy inner corset for your body that stabilizes your spine and holds your organs in so that the rest of your body can move and be still and in motion more um, efficiently. And then and then re- learn to release that because mm-hmm. in the same way you wouldn't want to have tight hamstrings, you don't want to have tight abs, mm-hmm. right? We have this like weird psychosis in our culture about having tight abs but you, you know, you don't want to have a tight, oh, thank you know. God for me. You are an amazing woman. I'm always shocked by how much you know and how much that I don't know that you know until <laughs> I started this podcast. Now I have you on all the time just to keep the marriage going and spicy and impressive. You are so impressive. Um, thank you, dear. And you've helped so many people through back pain. You've caused a lot of mental anguish along the way. I send your back into spasm on a regular basis, but, you know, then you wouldn't have the good work to do. That's true. I love you. I do.
Thanks for listening to today's show. Honestly, my wife never ceases to amaze me with all her knowledge. It's a joy doing this episode because not only could it help save my back, but I also learned something about her. And after 32 years together, it's lovely to continue to discover your partner's brilliance. Skylar has helped so many people with their back pain. If you suffer from acute or chronic pain, I hope you've gleaned something from this episode. You can check out Skylar's back care course called Back to the Core at onecommune.com slash core. That's onecommune.com slash core. And that's it from the commune for this week. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And more importantly, email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. I love hearing directly from you. That's it from the commune for this week. I'm Jeff Krasnow, and in honor of Ramdas, in love, include me.